It's the toughest, most important job in the world. Four kids. If you want to know what it's like to have a fourth, just imagine you're drowning. And then someone hands you a baby. This is The Mom Show. It's where moms come to learn and share. Our host is Lindsay Ertz on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome on into the Mom Show today. Thank you for joining us. I am Lindsay Ertz here with my guests who join me once a month, Dr. Susan Madsen with Utah Women and Leadership Project and Emily Bell McCormick of the Policy Project. Ladies, I always love our monthly chat, so I'm so glad to be with you today. Uh, Dr. Madsen does research here in the state of Utah, particularly on women's issues and issues that impact moms and families. Uh, And some of her latest research talks about women in STEM careers. And for those of you who may not know what STEM is, science, technology, education, and math. And we sort of have this stereotype out there, if you will, that women don't always go into STEM careers. You know, engineers are men and uh, computer technicians, <laughs> all those kind of STEM careers, mathematicians, stuff like that, uh, tend to be more male-dominated careers. And so, Dr. Madsen, let's just jump right in. What did some of your research find when it comes to women in Utah and STEM careers? So uh, the punchline is really nationally, women make up about 27% now of STEM workers, and in Utah, it's 21%. So there's, of course, still a gap. However, there's been some progress um, in that. So we can go deeper a little bit later, but I, I think... Um, I was at an event, a great event yesterday where we were talking about women in STEM and we went back and this report doesn't touch specifically on this. We have another report that does on where does that come from? You know, where's the, the pipeline back? And in terms of it's so interesting in terms of looking at third and fourth and fifth grade, fifth and sixth grade are really important times for for girls when they're thinking about ahead and then junior high. A lot of times people think it's high school when you make these decisions. But that's what I think it's so interesting, uh, specifically for our conversation is, is we can't just say women in STEM today, but we have to say, you know, what's that pipeline? Because we still in the state of Utah, we've all talked about this, Emily and Lindsay and I have talked about the socialization that happens. And still in the state of Utah, we have more messages than other states. Now we have a few other states, southern states that are similar to us, Louisiana and in some Mississippi and so forth that the rank close to what we do. But still we have more messages coming that this these areas are good for girls and women these areas are good for boys and men and then one more thing before what what i think is interesting when you look at the research is that subtle and sometimes even a statement from someone impacts the way girls think about how good they are at math how good they are at science and uh, research clearly says if girls are given a reminder that maybe, and I, I, it's not even a reminder, given a thought that maybe boys are better than math right before they take a test or do something, they will automatically do worse. Oh, geez. I mean, on the spot. And then they, and, and we're talking about third, fourth, fifth 
sixth graders plus college plus adults that happens so so you know we we like to get into the detail the deeper stuff behind that but yeah. i think it's so fascinating yeah that really is interesting and i like where how you call it the pipeline where we can't just think about uh women in stem today but have to think about how women and girls get into stem careers and and susan do you see um like teachers having the biggest influence on these younger girls who we want to kind of maybe shift towards these careers if, if they want to, or do you see this more coming from the home or both? It, it really is both. I mean, the way that we, I'm going to pull us all the way back, uh, the way that we talk about it in our homes, the gifts we give, the always the math books or, or the, the more technical, t- you know, toys, to boys and girls, you should be playing with this, or just even subtle things on what girls should become. You know, in the future, you're going to be a great teacher or a nurse, not a doctor, not a, you know, those kinds of things too. And then we know that um, teachers, uh, counselors in high school, your neighbors, People at, in church settings, talks in church settings, I should say, um, all of those subtly and not so subtly, but many of them subtle, right, yeah. impact. Emily, let me bring you into the conversation here. Uh, have you seen this kind of show up with your young kids? Have you seen this with your young girls? What has been your experience? Yeah, you know, it is, it, it's so interesting. And I love hearing Dr. Madsen talk about this because it is bizarre that, you don't see those gender differences in different countries, you know, that it, that it really is something that we're doing here. I think that's a fascinating argument for this. And um, I, I do see it like less with my kids, probably because I'm always like, Gigi, you're going to be a surgeon, you know, like going through. However, I will say when they have friends over um, or people interacting with them, I will sometimes hear like, yeah, I think I'll be um, a dental hygienist, you know, and I think, you know, dental hygiene school, I think is still three years. Dental school is four. Like there's no, there's no difference other than you get paid a ton more being a dentist and these kinds of things. So anytime I hear, I literally, it is beyond myself to not correct them and say, oh, you would be an awesome dentist. You should definitely do that. You know, it's only one more year and, and, you know, kind of do that. I will say with this, it was interesting. I was um, visiting Texas Instruments, which is a large company, uh, formerly Micron, that's at the point of the mountain, kind of in the tech corridor. And um, they have a thousand employees at this site. They're headquartered in Texas. They've got 30,000 people internationally. And they were excited because they were participating in this period project approved bathrooms program that we're running right now, which is basically getting workplaces to put period products into their space because we need them to be on board. We need businesses on board and businesses don't want us to put in policy. So we're going to just make them do it themselves. Right. So there was a small group of women that were kind of leading us through. They were super excited. They just got period products into every bathroom in, in, in this, you know, mile long facility. And I just asked them, I noticed as we were roaming the halls, they work on semiconductors, like there were not a ton of women that I was seeing other than this little pod that I was with. So I asked like what uh, percentage it was um, in their company. And it was 14%, you know, 14%. You think about that, that is just so tiny, you know, one in one in 10 
people is a woman there. And I kind of loved seeing these women in that setting be crusaders for something that was at its end, you know, at its very uh, pinnacle was a woman's issue. You know, they're, they're making their company like see menstruation. And so I think like Susan said, Dr. Madsen said, it's a really interesting point in time, because even in a setting where they are by far the minority in that setting, they feel empowered to say that this is what I deserve. And I think that that's what's different than this topic, maybe 20 years ago, where it was like, I can't say anything. There's going to be shame. And not that that doesn't still exist. It absolutely does, but kind of need to see women like rise in those situations. Yeah. That's- and, I, and I have to say it does still exist a lot in the state of Utah. So it's nice to hear that some companies are changing those cultures and I, and it, it just matters the leadership of the company. It matters if if diversity and inclusion is important. It matters if, and and I have to say that the way that we're moving forward, if companies, if if diversity in terms of gender and race does not matter to a company, I just don't think they're going to be successful moving forward. Yeah, it's it's really important. Dr. Susan Madsen with the Utah Women in Leadership Project and Emily Bell McCormick with the Policy Project. We're talking about uh, Utah's women in STEM careers. Dr. Madsen has some new research out on this. So we'll take a break. More on The Mom Show in just a minute. You've joined The Mom Show. Being a mom can be tough sometimes. We try to make it easier. Here's Lindsay Ertz on KSL News Radio. Welcome back into the mom show today. Thank you for joining us. I love this conversation we're having today with Dr. Susan Madsen of the Utah Women and Leadership Project and then Emily Bell McCormick with the Policy Project. These women join me once a month here on the mom show to discuss women's issues in Utah. And I always love our discussions. Um, Dr. Madsen, today we're talking about uh, women in STEM careers in Utah. And one of the interesting statistics you gave us through your research is that Utah is a little bit behind, not too far behind, but just like seven percentage points behind the national average when it comes to women in careers. Um, But then also uh, Utah women, uh, there are not as many Utah women in STEM careers than there are men. Is that true? Is that what your research found? Yes, absolutely. And I do want to give credit to, to Rebecca Winkle, who really took the lead on finding these data. And she she is a volunteer for us, a professional volunteer, and she works at the American Petroleum Institute. So a woman in STEM herself, which uh, and she did such a great job on this. So, so as I said, you know, we are we're twenty one percent of STEM workers in Utah are women, uh, and nationally it's twenty seven percent. So, so it doesn't sound like much, but it is quite a big gap. But that's not a surprise, as I said, because we have less women graduating from those degrees in Utah compared to the nation. But one statistic I thought would be interesting to bring up is still what we have find, found, even though we're increasing, three point four percent of employed women work in STEM compared to ten. 0.7% of employed men here in the state of Utah. So there's still, that's not a surprise. And it's something that we wanted to highlight. We're making some slight progress there. Um, there are great groups that are doing things around that. We can talk about that more if you want um, a little bit later. But I, I do think sometimes here in the state of Utah, we need to talk about why STEM careers are really important. I I do have to say, we need good elementary school teachers and nurses and all of those things that are more traditional. However, 
we do have many women in the state of Utah that live in poverty or work for low wages. And, and um, STEM careers can be a variety of educational levels from certificates up to doctorate degrees. But they pay so well, Lindsay. Mm -hmm. They really pay well. I am in the and, wrong career. I talk. Uh, you are. You are. In, <laughs> no, they're really um, and STEM careers. STEM, and you can get in STEM. Like join Tech Moms, get some coding, and then move. And many companies will pay for your education and to move up. There's just some opportunities. You shift and go into some of these STEM companies, you can shift your, your um, pay up to $30,000 a year. I mean, that's very common. So um, I, I don't know. I just want to put that pitch out there. Yeah, no, it's so important. And, and Dr. Matson, you mentioned a, a few seconds ago that we're sort of growing in STEM careers in Utah. Can you talk about how much we are growing? What's the significance there? And explain maybe why we are seeing that growth if we are. So we, we definitely are growing and we know as a state, we have so many STEM careers here in the state. I mean, our, our technology, but also life sciences. I was just talking to an organization in the state of Utah, the head of an organization in the state of Utah the other day that really works in life sciences and trying to help people know that, that there are so many great jobs here in Utah in life sciences, which most of those fit into the STEM categories. So huge numbers of, of our companies in the state of Utah and jobs right now really are in STEM. And I would say, again, there are many other business and education things that are great too. But the reason we highlight this is because many of our girls and women who live here don't think about that as a career. And some who do, I have to say this, I'm going to bring up something negative, but I'm just warning you. Some who do go down that route of majoring, get into companies here in Utah and face what we've talked about before, the three of us, that invisible masculine culture. Mm. So if you get into those really masculine cultures, women tend not to stay into the in those careers. So um, what I love is as I'm talking to CEOs and business leaders around the state, more and more are becoming aware that, hey, we need women for lots of purposes, not just for the diversity counts, but for innovation, creativity. How can we really look at that masculine culture that we've had that's invisible a lot and figure out how to change that so people feel like they belong there that are people of color and women and so forth. And that's such an important issue for businesses, too, that changing the culture, uh, especially for these STEM businesses, right, changing the, the, the male-dominated culture is so important for employee retention. If you want to retain women, that culture is a massive piece of that. Um, Emily Bell McCormick with the Policy Project. Let me bring you in real fast because what I think is interesting too is I know I had this experience as a as a youngster. Uh, it was I felt like picking a major was deciding what I had to do for the rest of my life, and it was really overwhelming. I didn't know at that point, but even earlier than that, I mean, what I mean, you can get into STEM careers even if you don't have necessarily the quote unquote degree for it, right? Right. Yeah. No, I, I do know a couple of women, one who is, um, she's really working as an engineer and like Dr. Madsen said before she, I, I was chatting with her a couple of weeks ago and, um, 
she's working for a large tech company and, and uh, in developing these like microchips. And she was so interesting because she was like, yeah, I'm super busy right now. I'm back in school. And I thought for sure she was in grad school or doing something like that. And, and she was like, no, I, I never got my undergrad. I just kind of got into this after high school and, and started down this path. And so I think, you know, there is more available there than we would guess. And I do think it's an issue of exposure. You know, most of us were not exposed to this. And Lindsay, you just mentioned like choosing a college major. And I think this, it didn't even enter my mind. I randomly like really love math, you know, I I really do. And when I took the GRE for grad school, it was my best score by far. I didn't even consider doing anything in math. First of all, I didn't have a lot of exposure to careers in math. I didn't, you know, my family, I didn't have anyone, although my grandfather did have like a PhD in math, ironically. Now that <laughs> there, I'm there math. it is, there it is. <laughs> but nobody was like working in a math oriented career. And so I didn't see that as like a natural pathway. So that could be beyond gender. I didn't have anyone in my family and that, I just didn't see it. Yeah. Um, but I definitely had no exposure to it. You know, the things that you see as youth growing up and this, I would be so interested to know, Dr. Radson, you probably have this answer, but you know, where, where boys are socialized, like you're seeing the same, a stay at home mom in certain cultures with female teachers. Why do we, is it just that we see ourselves reflected in that, that we decide to choose those careers and the boys don't as much? Absolutely. And what's so interesting is I was talking to Sid Dixon a month or so ago, who is the commissioner of the K through 12 system in the state of Utah. And she, um, she even said that the, the research is pretty clear in terms of so more women because of what you're just talking about, Emily, and other things, don't feel as confident in math. And so when they become elementary school teachers, when they talk about math and teach math at the third, fourth, fifth grade levels, they're not as confident even with that. They don't show their language doesn't show that. So I thought that was that was so interesting. Dr. Susan Madsen with the Utah Women in Leadership Project and Emily Bell McCormick with the Policy Project. We'll take a break. More on the mom show in just a minute. It's the toughest, most important job in the world. Four kids. If you want to know what it's like to have a fourth, just imagine you're drowning and then someone hands you a baby. This is The Mom Show. It's where moms come to learn and share. Our host is Lindsay Ertz on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back into The Mom Show. Thank you for joining us. If you are just joining us, I'm chatting with Dr. Susan Madsen of the Utah Women in Leadership Project and Emily Bell McCormick of the Policy Project. These ladies join me once a month. We call it the state of women in Utah. We like to talk about women's and mom issues and issues that impact us directly. And uh, women in politics is something we've discussed before on this show. And obviously, we know we have zero female representation at the federal level right now, all Six of our congressional delegation, including our senators and our congressmen, are all men. And there are, let's just drill down on the Senate race. Uh, There are two women and one man running in that race. Uh, Becky Edwards, Allie Isom, and then Senator Mike Lee are all running against each other. And this week they were on the debate stage, all three of them together. And Emily, I want to come to you first. Do you have some main takeaways from that debate? I surely do. It was just (laughs) like a moment of shock and awe for me to be seated in this junior high school in Draper, Utah. Um, 
and see like visually the moment that these women walked out on stage. Well, the candidates, I should say, when all of the candidates walked out on stage, you know, you have the moderator who was a man, and then you have uh, our current senator, but then two women walk out on stage. And these two women happen to be tall, that doesn't matter, but they just had this like powerful presence standing in front of a display of probably five or six American flags behind them, this really beautiful display. And you see these two women just standing there. And for the first time in my life, in in my home state of Utah, it, it was like a completely new experience for me. And it felt so normal and so right to me that I had to remind myself and some of the women that I'd invited to come with me, um, this is a first. It, it was a shock because it did feel normal. And I actually know all three of the candidates um, and they're all very capable humans. You have to be to be running for that race and they have gotten through um, you know, onto the primary ballot. But I, you, you know, to see that, and then to hear these women offer very educated, very dignified answered answers. And then um, the male candidate, Mike Lee, who is our current senator, who's been in office for 12 years. So he has a lot of federal experience. You know, that's his jam. That's what he does every day. But these women stood up and, and did us all proud as women. They're, they were very well informed. They knew the issues. They had great responses. And I just realized in that moment there's just a different narrative being set. I, I was uh, sitting in front of um, a group of four men who were making some comments that probably most of us would consider pretty sexist um, when the women would respond. And I know that I try to kind of be neutral in those positions and realize like they're just protecting what they know and, and their preferred candidate in this situation. Um, but I also had a moment that Dr. Susan referenced before when we were talking about companies changing. And the moment was, your time is passing. So enjoy this while you can get away with saying this because it's different. There is plenty of room for men ongoing in the political scene. My comment is not that women are taking over. They never will. We we don't want it. We want to share, right? Um, My comment is that that kind of thinking about where women belong has changed. It's different. Did they really so, say what the women don't belong here on this stage? They didn't say they don't belong. It was just a lot of commentary about, um, you know, uh, there were a few topics about energy, um, like maintaining energy uh, in Utah. And yeah. one of them kind of said, she doesn't know anything about this. And I kind of wondered what he knew about it. You know, maybe yeah. he did. He didn't look like he did. And that is totally judgmental of me. Right. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, and then when it came to some of the socially based issues like gun control, um, you know, the women tended to come in uh, more empathetic on that one. And a little bit more like we need a balance of things here, like the right to bear arms. This was a Republican primary while looking at like safety controls for children. Mm. Um, And there was a commentary about, they don't know what they're talking about. They, they don't care about the second amendment, you know, and I think, you know, I I care about it, but you know, yeah, that's not, you can interpret that very differently. Yeah. That is a very broad, broad brush to paint with. Um, I did notice that same thing. I did notice that the female candidates, and I I don't mean to point out their gender because I really do see them all as candidates, but the female candidates 
tended to come more with stories and experiences where, like you said, Senator Lee has much more federal experience. But especially on those hot button issues of gun control and the Roe v. Wade debate right now, you heard the women share their own experiences with bearing children in the context of that debate. And that's an important conversation. And that doesn't yeah. mean all women have to support, you know, Roe v. Wade, but it is important to have those perspectives. I just thought that was the most interesting thing about this. I mean, you, I was hoping those two issues would come up because they are very hot button right now. They're both in our minds, Roe v. Wade, and as well as gun controller, you know, what are we doing with guns right now? And it was so fascinating um, because of the three candidates, just a quick summary of the response to the Roe v. Wade. You know, these are all tried and true Republicans. You know, they've made it onto the Republican ballot. And, um, you know, uh, um, Ali Isom came in and said, here's what I know about Roe v. Wade is that we need women making this decision. We need women represented here like doing this, right? So um, the takeaway that for my takeaway from that was she pointed to the fact that a bunch of men should not be making this decision. That's who's always made this decision. Um, And then, and Becky Edwards had a very different approach. I mean, she fully just said, I don't see a need to get rid of Roe v. Wade. I I don't, I do not see a federal need to get rid of it. We need to be aware of, you know, the person who has special needs that's been raped multiple times, you know, or or, uh, sexually assaulted. Like this is why this law exists. Um, And then you had Mike Lee, who went, I believe, third and said, there is no room in our country for abortion. And so just to hear like the nuanced approaches of the women who were really considering like a very large scale. I mean, one of my greatest complaints about the um, conversation around abortion is that this is not a pro-life, pro- pro-choice argument ever. <laughs> there are so many pieces to this. And until we consider more of those pieces, we shouldn't even be having it. Yeah. You know, so. If there's anything I've learned about politics covering it, especially locally, it's that no issue is black and white. There's so much nuance to every issue. Um, Dr. Madsen, let me bring you in here because, well, I hope people are not taking away from our conversation that you should elect a woman just because she's a woman. Um, that's certainly not what we're saying here, but you do have research on why it's important for women to be in politics. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, this, this quote, best candidate is really interesting because the companies talk about this, like, like there's five people that apply from the, the job and which one has the most, like if it's a faculty position, publications, or the most years of experience. And, and but, but the research is quite clear that the best candidate may not have the most publications because it's the best person for the department, for the company, for the organization, where they're at, and what it can do for the team and organization. And we know that, that a combination in more equal numbers of men and women are more innovative together, are more creative, do better things for society. And so when we just think about one view of what, quote, the best candidate looks like, that's really dangerous moving forward. And what we know is we have six members of Congress and six men. Utah's not being represented and Utah's views are not because women and men have have different perspectives and understanding of things which you could see in the example that you just gave. And in the state of Utah, we have never had 
a U.S. senator elected. And that's been a disservice to us. Yeah, um, and technically, and we have if two, we're half the population, we should have half the representation, right? And that's that's and it's not just a matter of numbers. I mean, numbers matter, you know, generally, but it's a matter of doing the best things for the residents and, you know, residents here in Utah. That's what it's all about. And we're not being represented um, in ways that benefit our state the best way. And so I, I do want to mention as well, uh, we've talked about this before, published in the, in December, a uh, report on women's equality and why women, wh- while we're, why, why we continue to be, quote, the worst state for women's equality. And one of those metrics of 17, one of those metrics is, do we have a women senator? And of course, we ha- do not. And the and another one. These are five points each, uh, worth a hundred. Um, and another one is: Do we have women in the U.S. Uh, you know, con- in Congress in the U.S. House of Representatives? And we have none. Um, and so that's one reason why we still remain at the bottom too. And some people say, hey, that's just six positions. It really doesn't matter. We can have women in other positions. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm talking about the research. So the research says it absolutely matters. And I just one more thought here I, um, that, you know, we're still in a phase where we're, we like status quo. Um, not just men, women, a lot of women, too. We're not ready to shake things up. Status quo. And so people lean towards that. But in races like this, if more business leaders that understand these principles and, and support do not step up with money, I'll tell you, this race, a lot of it is money. Mm. It is how much people are donating. And we still find that business leaders, often men, are just nervous. They're just still nervous about making a change in gender. And it's not all about gender, but that's, I think that's what a lot of it is right now. They're just saying, can a woman win? It's a chicken and egg. You have to just be brave. Yeah. And and we have great candidates um, who are experienced and could do the job. Absolutely. All of them. Yeah. Um, but we need a, we need some switching up. So interesting. Dr. Susan Madsen with the Utah Women in Leadership Project and Emily Bell McCormick with the Policy Project talking about women in politics in the state of Utah. It's such a fascinating conversation. Uh, We'll take a break. More on the Mom Show in just a minute. Welcome back into the Mom Show. Thank you for joining us today. Been having a conversation with Dr. Susan Madsen of the Utah Women and Leadership Project and Emily Bell McCormick with the Policy Project. These ladies join me once a month to discuss uh, women's issues and Issues that impact mom life, uh, especially around the state of Utah. And Dr. Madsen, one thing you do in your research is you just get a sample of what women in Utah are experiencing. But interestingly, you have some new research from um, some of the rural counties in Utah. And I think this is interesting because women there and moms there kind of have a different way of life than us who live in the big city, right? Absolutely. So what we've been doing, and Angie Clevin, who's our statewide community outreach manager, has been taking the lead for this, is to go to different counties. And we've just started this. And so we've just done four. And um, and get together a group of leaders, religious leaders, community leaders, politicians, principals, you know, the whole and what and we we spend two hours, but for an hour of that, they go into small groups and, and we just ask the question. You know, what can 
um, people in your area do to strengthen the impact of girls and women? And what comes out are the various concerns. And some of them overlap, but some of them don't. So we've done one in uh, Cache County. We've done one in Uinta Basin, very different places. Utah County, which is is not rural, uh, but very interesting. Mm -hmm. And then Summit County, which is a combination. We've got Park City there, but also, you know, the um, Colville and and definitely some rural areas. And so we just let them go and ask them and they do flip charts and markers and come up with all kinds of things. So it it is interesting. A few things that emerged um, in Uinta Basin, a lot of conversation around uh, health and well-being, opioid addictions, you know, how do we strengthen girls um, um, with those kinds of things? Uh, I think be about talking the, more. the health and well-being conversation is so interesting to me because many of those women who live in rural Utah don't have access to mental health services, yep. right? Here exactly. along the Wasatch Front, we can find a therapist, you know, easily at the doctor's office or whatever. But uh, for them, they have to travel oftentimes into yep. a bigger city to find mental health services. Some of those rural uh, areas, they're not going to have a prof- uh, mental health professional or even a, a physical health professional, right? Absolutely. And, and really a good discussion there about confidence and helping the girls there in Uinta County be more confident. They also talked about STEM. We just talked about that on an earlier segment. And of course, they're so strong out there in, in oil and in gas and different kind of energy. Um, and, you know, just just that conversation. And and then I, I guess the third thing for you and to county, I would mention as just based on mine is the presence that was by men and women who attended of the very strong gendered social norms mm. that that's that women should do this and men should do this and and how that really is super strong there um, and we and we see that conversation in pretty much every county I should say but um, there were some people I know that just had deep deep uh, feelings about that and and we had a couple of representatives uh, from the um, Native American population there, which is a big population out in that area, and some of the unique concerns of of our our sisters of color out there. Yeah, Emily, let me bring you into the conversation. What are your takeaways as you hear this uh, report from Susan? Well, I you know we've been kind of dealing on the practical, and I love what Dr. Madsen does because it kind of gives us an overview of what's going on. And then we will sometimes get in there and dig in on some of the, you know, like practical issues there. And because we've been dealing so much with menstrual uh, policy and menstrual health, um, you know, we have worked a bit with the Navajo Nation and American Indian Services, you know, in some of these more uh, smaller parts of Utah. And you just see that, yeah, the needs are, 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 the same, but different, you know, to varying degrees. And we see there that, for example, um, the Navajo Nation has a really cool program where um, the students can go and do a STEM course over the summer and stay on a college campus, but they don't have menstrual supplies. Mm. So we pack period kits, you know, get companies up here to try to pack period kits to send them down to, um, to, so that these 
girls can go and function fully and not not be able to go to the cool STEM thing that's being provided because they're held back because they're having their period. So they're sitting in the dorm room. Right. You know, I just think that they're all these issues are so nuanced and the lower income or the more trauma or, you know, the more difficulties that you face because you've been forgotten in the policy realm, you know, it's, it's, it makes life a lot harder and we have to start unburying some of those things, just one little issue at a time to, yeah. to give them full access. Dr. Susan Madsen with the Utah Women in Leadership Project and Emily Bell McCormick with the Policy Project. Thank you both always for joining me and for your insights and for your education and your research on all of these topics. It is such an invaluable service that you're doing for the state of Utah. Thank you for joining us this week. We'll be back next week on The Mom Show.